You are listening to the Two Writers Walk Into a Bar podcast. In every episode, our goal is to help, inspire, and celebrate authors' journey to publication by reading and critiquing query letters, then tackle a writing topic we hope you find helpful. Welcome back to Two Writers Walk Into a Bar. Hey, Ken. Hey, what's up? <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, it's a whole new, what's been two weeks now, I think. Um, hopefully you guys are doing good. Ken, how was your week? It was good. Um, yeah. writing wise, not the most prolific week. Yeah. But, you know, I, I got a little bit in there, a couple thousand this week. So nice. Hey, yeah. that's better than nothing. I did it too. Is. I didn't, I didn't make tremendous progress, but I made some progress. So nice. I am kind of saying with you probably did about like about 1500 maybe. <laughs> yeah. Not my best but week. I was reading. But I'm reading, I'm reading The Cousins. Oh, the book is over there. Um, I'm reading a YA mystery. It's called The Cousins. Pretty good. It's keeping me, um, it's keeping me pulled in. So I'm almost done with it. I think I have like a couple chapters. Oh, hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm listening to Brandon Sanderson's Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Oh, which, nice. Uh, okay. I'm listening to it and I'm so close. I've got like an hour and 18 minutes left. So. Yeah. After this, I will be finishing that. Oh, right. nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be finishing up my book tonight, too. Um, I realized that I just, I don't know. Um, it's a mystery novel. I have a little bit of mystery in my manuscript. And so yeah. I kind of wanted to see, like, how she did it and, like, different things, all the different twists and stuff like that. My my book is not a mystery genre, yeah. but I just kind of, like, sometimes, you know, you got to get, elements. like, inspired. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. um, and I was just, I don't know, I was just in the mood for that, and it just, it worked out, and it's keeping me reading, so. <laughs> yeah, and on my phone, on my Kindle, I'm reading Shadow of the Gods still by John Gwynn. Oh, and nice. I'm, okay. I'm falling in love with that book. It's so good. Oh, good. Yay. It's like North, Norse mythology, fantasy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so yep. cool. That's it's really good. good. Yeah, yeah. Let me know when you start the ninth house. I can't wait to hear your thoughts that, on that. I was going to start that. Like we talked about it two weeks ago. I was going to start it. But yeah, I'm, I ended up getting the Dark Tower comics. That oh, you giant did? book. Yes. Oh, hold on. Awesome. I got to reach over this and grab it. Hold on. Sorry for the. Because <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> i'm All glad right. you got it yes this and it's it weighs like 10 pounds but oh my god so it's the whole series of the graphic novel the whole series of the graphic novels Dang. like like the whole thing it's so That's cool sweet. nice and it's, it's, it's yeah it's dark tower it's your, your coffee table book <laughs> yes you gotta love the dark tower so awesome well that's so, cool man yeah it stopped the ninth house from happening oh okay so. <laughs> it's okay i'm a mood reader so i totally get that yeah it'll happen it's coming yes. all right cool uh what are you drinking oh old faithful moab the grand all right well i switched it up today i had a glass of i'm having a glass of chardonnay oh yeah. nice yes my, uh, my husband bought me the biggest bottle of wine from costco <laughs> i don't know why nice. but i was like i guess i have to drink it all <laughs> mm-hmm there's nothing else you could do with that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I could invite somebody over to help me drink it, but why? Fuck just, that. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I thought about having my sisters over, and I was just like, eh, I'm like, I live so far from everybody. I'm like, it's too long of a drive, and it's just, I don't know, whatever. You just got to get one of them five gallon wine glasses, and then just be like, <laughs> I'm only having one glass. I mean, the Costco, I mean, if he came home with that thing, I, I, he was that Costco, and he's like, well, What do you want? I'm like, Oh, you know, bring me something wine yeah. or something he's like okay brought me home this big bottle i was like all right oh yeah <laughs> we're 
party in anyway. the night, huh? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd have to go to work tomorrow, but I'm just having a glass. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, hopefully you're having your own drink while you're listening. If you're not, go grab a drink. You uh, might want to have one because we got a query in today. We got a little bit of a lengthy query, and I'm going to read it. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to read it first, and then we're going to give our thoughts and our critique on it. Um, and this was sent to us by Robert Butler. And so far, he doesn't have any social media. I tried to reach out to him. I think that he said he just has his email. And I guess you guys can, um, if you want to reach out to him, if you're interested in hearing more about his book or maybe even working with him, uh, his email is robert3butler uh, at gmail.com. So um, we're going to jump right into it. Um, it's, it's a lengthy one. So um, sit back, have a drink. Okay, so I'm going to jump to this query, guys. Um, and I had to put on my glasses for this because I don't know what's up with my eyes. <laughs> eh. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so <laughs> query. Uh, three score years ago, two days before President Kennedy's assassination, he signed a resolution to remove a thousand American troops from Vietnam. Then the day after his funeral, President Johnson reversed Kennedy's resolution to invade North Vietnam. See um, NSAM-273. This was the Pearl Harbor of the war in Vietnam, out of those out of whose shadows of controversy and deception appears a young carpenter from Appalachia named Gideon Gust. Not wanting to kill people in a war he doesn't understand, when Gideon learns the jungles of Venezuela desperately need carpenters, he embarks on a journey across half a continent that becomes a, a ride through the decades' turbulent history. As he endures an unforeseen gauntlet that assaults the conscience of a principled man in a world of evil through his eyes are refracted the struggle between those who would live in harmony with nature and government, business and religious interests who wear masks of benevolence as they ravage the earth for personal gain. As such, the saga of the Sundering 60s chronicles how an every man becomes an ecologically conscious person and lays bare the biggest environmental destroyer of all war and it all began during that fateful fateful week in 1963 here is the novel's epigraph the organized political social and religious associations of our time are at work to induce the individual not to arrive at one's convictions by his own thinking but to make his own such convictions as they keep ready made for him by the spirit of the age, then, the man of today is forced into skepticism about his own thinking in order to make him receptive to questionable truths which come to him from authority, Albert Schweitzer. Um, and then related titles. So we're redacting this his the name of his book, but he says hereafter is referred to as B2B. So B2B differs from two recently best-selling environmental novels, Powers Powers is the overstory and King Solver's flight behavior, which addresses which address only two provincial aspects of the environment, trees and butterflies, and say nothing about its divine implications. While B2B addresses environmental destruction on a global scale and asserts that environmentalism is divinely relevant to every aspect of life on Earth. Indeed, National Geographic, January 2015, top of page two, proclaimed the same by predicting that a new religion could emerge in the next decade or two based on the environment. 
Who knows? Maybe B2B will lead this popular magazine's prediction to become true. B2B is also patterned after one of America's greatest novels, The Grapes of Wrath, in that its moral voice is a preacher whose concept of holiness catalyzes the protagonist's transformation into a relevantly conscious person. At the same time, B2B confronts the hypocritical manner that many so-called Christians twist the Bible's teachings to rationalize their own selfish desires in ways that are shredding the moral fiber of our society. Yet in the end, when Gideon seems to have lost everything, he is saved by a nun in an an almshouse, an act of true Christianity. As such, B2B is a brave book, much like Salman Rushdie's Satanic Verses. B2B also is a psychological novel that addresses a little known but very common social disorder leadership complex, which shrinks the strong and swells the weak in a manner that breeds a systemic mediocrity. This disorder is profoundly disclosed in Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida, Act 1, Scene 3, Take but degree away, untune that string, and hark what discord follows. I know of no other novel that addresses this issue. Even the vast internet lists nothing under the topic, leadership complex. B2B is also a historical novel that describes how some of the signal events of the 1960s, the Peace Corps, Castro's Cuba and others are erroneously reported in our nation's histories in hopes that knowing the truth of the past will provide the firmest foothold toward gaining a prosperous future. I know of no other novel that corrects these histories. B2B also allegorizes how America markedly changed in the 1960s between Kennedy's assassination and the escalation of the Vietnam War. I don't want to be so brash to say redacted could win a Pulitzer Prize, but I will say it is the kind of socially transformative, psychologically significant, and historically relevant novel that wins major literary prizes. Certainly, it is worthy of finding a prominent publisher. My qualifications to write the story. Number one, having lived in the Deep South for 21 years enabled me to authentically portray Gideon's native Tennessee in B2B. Having lived in the Deep South for 21 years enabled me to authentically portray Gideon's native Tennessee in B2B. Number three, being an architect and builder for many years enabled me to realistically portray Gideon's carpentry experiences throughout the novel. Number four, as a prominent environmentalist proven by my acclaimed book, The The Ecological House enabled me to professionally address the environmental issues appearing in this novel. Number five, I personally experienced the following events appearing in B2B. A, I once drove a Volkswagen bus all over Western America and Mexico during which I wrote a 600-page journal. B, I personally was selected out of the Peace Corps for having a leadership complex, as were two others in my contingent. C, the impoverished family of 40 Mexicans living on a barren acre of land, the cabin in perfect condition near the ghost town and the coastal paradise called the parlor by the sea really existed as portrayed. D, during my VW travels, I visited the ancient Mayan uh, cities of, I cannot pronounce these, I'm so sorry. Uh, E, the con uh, con man piano player, um, Benson King Smith really existed as portrayed. His real name was Robert Pritchard. F, I really was deported from Mexico for being an innocent bystander in a counterinsurgency insurgency plot that failed, which involved uh, Che Guevara and Yucatan. Author biography. 
I am a graduate of Cornell School of Architecture. I am an architect and I live 50 miles north of the Great White Way in New York. Okay. So that's the end of the query. He did send in his pages, but we're going to discuss the query first. Um, I will say that he did give a little bit of an introduction that he, um, let me let me read this so you guys have a better understanding. He said that he has, he's authored 15 books, five on architectural engineering from McGraw-Hill. For years, these volumes were the standard in their field. And as such, he has proven record, track record of writing achievement. Um, this, uh, this is his first serious novel, and its genre is environmental epic, realistic fiction, social commentary. Okay. So, um, Robert, thank you, first of all, for sending in your query and your first pages. We appreciate you um, trusting us with your work because we know how hard that is as two writers. Ken and I know. <laughs> for sure. It is hard to send your work out, and you really have to, you know, trust us, uh, trust, you know, others reading your work. Um, so I don't know if you've listened to our podcast or if you've been listening to our podcast, I'm going to assume you have it, um, just because you did mention that you was, you weren't really sure what a podcast is, but we do have an episode back in episode 10. And I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. We talk about how to write a query. Um, so the first thing I want to say is most agents ask for you to have at least 200 to 450 word query, okay? Yours comes in at 969 words. So that's a lot. The reason why they ask for such a short query is you have to think an agent is getting hundreds of queries a day, a day, okay? We're talking like maybe, I don't know, 300, 500, 700, okay? So let's say an agent is telling their themselves, I'm going to read 100 queries today. I'm picking a high number. Maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 25. I don't know. But let's just say 100, okay? They're telling themselves, today I want to read 100 queries. I can get through this this um, this uh, slush of, of queries. And they come across a query that's 969 words. <laughs> I, I can probably say with certainty that it's going to get past immediately you're going to get an instant reject 100 percent instant yes reject, and you're going to definitely. get sent a decline with the form rejection why because it's just too long it's just once they start to scroll down and see this is a long query they, they're not going to read it um and they and the reason why is because they expect you to know that your query should be between 200 and 450 words okay so yours is yours is definitely on the much longer side. Okay, so we need to shrink this down. We need to shrink it down to um, the important pieces that you need for the agent, so that the agent is going to want to request the rest of your work, right? Because when you're querying an agent, the goal is for them to say, "Oh, send me the full," because that's what we're aiming for, and then of course. When they read the full, they fall in love with it and then they want to rep us and then, you know, right. So um, right now you probably wouldn't even make it past them reading it. And that's a bummer because you have a great concept here. Okay. You have a great concept, great idea. And we want to make sure that those agents get to your first pages. Okay. So um, we, uh, 
we want to start off in the first paragraph of your query. Your query should have three paragraphs, okay? Um, and that's just like basically just condensing down your story enough to where the agent wants to read it, like we were saying, okay? So first you want to do is you want to address the agent. I know you didn't hear... Um, I don't know if you don't know. I'm going to assume that you don't. So I'm just going to go on the assumption that you don't know. But you definitely want to address it as dear and then whatever the agent's name is that you're querying. You definitely don't want to just put dear agent and then send it out to a mass amount. You want to personalize that. So if you're querying a certain agent, put their name at the top, okay? And then you're going to say, I am um, submitting my manuscript of, and you don't give your pay, your word count here. So typically, um, we would need a word count, 90,000 words. Um, I don't know, 95,000, 85,000, whatever you want. And, and they want that for a reason as well. One, it lets the agent know if you are ready to be published, because if you have a book at 250,000 words, you're not ready because that's too long. That's way too long. There's no way they're going to sell a book that's 250. Even 150,000 would be tough. Um, so you you really kind of want to you and research your genre. I I I mean, you didn't give your genre. I don't know. I'm guessing it's adult. Okay, I'm just gonna say that I'm guessing it's yeah. an adult. It definitely doesn't sound like it's YA or middle grade or anything like that. So it takes place in Vietnam. I don't know if your protagonist is a teenager. I don't know if he's 19. I don't know if he's 18. I don't know if he's 25. I don't know. Whatever. Um, you want to put that. <laughs> so you want to put, you know, I am submitting my manuscript, a 90,000 word manuscript, uh, adults. Um, um, what did you say here? Environmental epic, realistic fiction, um, novel. Okay, whatever. Um, and then you want to give a hook, which, which is a kind of like, I don't know if it's a new thing, but the agents are definitely pushing a hook right now. They want you to start off with the hook right away because they want to know if you can condense your story down and make it interesting, make it sound interesting to them. And, and obviously a hook is to grab the agent. Just so you know, Robert, a hook is like one or two sentences. And I can give examples. There's a few examples of some, I don't know how familiar you are with some of these books, but these are some of the books that are pretty popular that I'm gonna um, just kind of read to you um, that you can go back and, you know, hopefully they will, hopefully you can figure it out, okay? So um, uh, let me just scroll down to one here. Um, I'm looking for, um, hopefully you know The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. So the hook for The Lion, the Witch and the wardrobe, wardrobe is four kids travel through wardrobe to the land of Narnia and learn of their destiny to free it with the guidance of a mystical lion. So in that hook, right away, you know exactly what the story is about. You know that there's four protagonists. You know that they travel through this wardrobe that takes them to a place named Narnia. It's so simple, but it's a, it's hooky enough that the agent is saying, ooh, I really want to read this. You know, I really want to read about escaping through wardrobe to Narnia. And that's why he was published. So it's super simple, but it grabs you. It grabs the reader. It grabs the agent. So you need a hook. Okay. I don't know your story, obviously. So I wouldn't be able to tell you what that hook would be for your book. But hopefully you might have some ideas. I would encourage you to go read 
a Google, do a Google search of hooks for popular books, books that maybe you might relate to that you've read. And then when you read those hooks, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I get it. And then you should be able to figure out how to do it for your book. Okay. So after you give your genre, the age, the word count, um, and the hook, then what you want to do is you want to introduce your main character. Now you did do that. His name is uh, Gideon Gust, um, which is great, but you don't tell us what Gideon wants. We know he doesn't want to go to Vietnam, right? I think I believe he said that he doesn't want to go fight in Vietnam and kill people, whatever. But what does he want? I'm guessing he is an environmentalist. And I'm just I'm taking a guess of because of what I've read in the f- first few pages. It says he becomes an environmentalist on his journey. Okay, so he's, okay. So yeah. you want to, when you introduce Gideon, you want to say, you want to kind of allude to that. Like he's, you know, maybe he's on the cusp or something and he's thinking about it. Maybe, I don't know. But you want to give that internal wound. What is the thing that's bothering him? What does he want but also the thing that's bugging him, the emotional wound, so that you can connect that to his desire. Um, and then, um, so he wants to, I guess, save the environment. Um, he doesn't want to go to Vietnam. Um, he, he feels that he can, um, I'm just kind of pulling, I mean, this might not, this may be totally wrong. Okay. If it's wrong, I apologize. Um, he wants to help, maybe help mankind by buildings, home and relationships, like figuratively and literally. You know, I don't know. Um, you can and... go something along the lines of when Gideon Gust sees all of his neighbors dra- getting drafted to go to Vietnam, he discovers an opportunity in Venezuela and decides to use his carpenter skills to escape being sent off to war. Yeah, and then, maybe. Like simple lost... like that in that vein. Yeah, because the emotional wound would be he lost, maybe he lost someone in a war maybe his dad died in a war i don't well, know we don't know the character but yes well, like you could, right yeah you you kind of want to connect that um to the story so that he's not just like i mean i get like i wouldn't want to go to war either and kill people but i yeah. feel like for but for a story you want a, a more of a deeper reason right yeah so um okay so once you introduce him introduce him with his him as he's a carpenter or he's a carpenter with um you know um environmentally savvy um savvy or whatever um and you know i don't know but you need to figure out how um to make that character um intriguing for the agent and then a little bit of a hint of his arc, too. Sorry to interject they, here, but mm-hmm. also the genre. I didn't really yes. see a genre I recognized there at all. It just sounded like a bunch of uh, random words, you know what I mean? Yes. So, because the, um, the comps that he gave, they were like political fiction. Uh, one of them just said novel. Yeah. Um, yeah so maybe fiction. you can go political fiction or even literary fiction, since I you're leaning towards yeah that but i don't believe the four words you use to describe the genre are viable you know genres that people use to place your book and he actually stores. put that in the introduction for us that's actually not in the query mm. so you definitely want to put that in the query robert 100 mm-hmm. percent. yes 
Um, and so once you explained your main character and we get what does he want more than anything, there has to be something that he wants. Um, I don't know what that is. I was thinking he was already an environmentalist. So maybe he like wants to, because he says he wants, he can go to the jungles of Venezuela, but he wants to go there instead of Vietnam, right? If, if I'm reading it correctly. But let's have another reason and, and connect that to his emotional wound. And I, I, you know, I don't know what that could be. I mean, I could give examples. Um, maybe his mother was, a, was uh, a spiritualist, didn't like to even cut down trees. Maybe she didn't like to use paper. Uh, I don't know. Just something that he needs something that's going to really draw him to become. If he becomes an environmentalist later, then he has to already have that kind of that little thing, that little quirk. Like, you know, his like I was like an example. Of yeah. Thing, like his I mean, mom. And I could be reading it wrong, too. Like he could already be partially an environmentalist. But from what I gained, he he becomes more in, and recognizes it through his travels and stuff. But I'm not 100 percent on my, you know. So, but I would still give him a connection, something yes. that's going to propel him along. Oh, I remember my grandmother talking about the trees or talking about the, 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 you dust, know, the, animals, bowl in the, 30, the dust bowl in the 30s where all the, the you know, dust. Yeah, so that no he has that, yeah, that he has that thing already that's yeah. kind of, you know, then when Erosion, he goes there and he's, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Sorry. That way. No, it's okay. So I would, you know, so you want to do that in that first paragraph. And then what you want to do is um, what is getting in the way of what he wants? Okay. So you, you obviously for you, I think it's the government, the religious interests, um, big businesses, whatever, and the war, obviously. The right? draft. Basically. Yeah. The draft. Yeah. All yeah. of that. Right. So we know. So that's good. But I would, you know, I, I think you could, could condense that. And really shriek it down, and you'll have to just, you know, you'll have to dig deep to figure out what words you want to use to portray that and keep it as short and crisp as possible. <laughs> and that's the well, beauty about words. I can 100% see his roots in writing nonfiction and textbook style work. Yes. It, because it, this it, reads like a textbook. It does. It's too yes. structured, it doesn't have the pop of what uh current fiction calls for agents publishers so, right because you start off your query with history like a history lesson that yeah. i don't think we need um that long that length of we get it that you know um kennedy was going to pull them out and then he died and then johnson went against it um i think that you could you focus have more that, on the character yeah, because and then you the have us then you have us looking up uh C N S A M dash two seven three. An agent's not gonna go look that up. Okay. No, they're not gonna look it up. To look up there's citations, yeah, no. right? And then you do it again about a magazine, um some uh, magazine, I forget which one it was. It was it was here somewhere. Um uh, that uh, written in 2015. They could look at the first paragraph or something. They're not gonna do that. So no. you don't want it's, to send them on a research. <laughs> no, it's too formal. It's too stiff. It's too, which is yes. okay when you're coming from a nonfiction or a textbook standpoint. That's brilliant. But, That's how you're supposed to do it. Yes. From but if you're this, going into 
<laughs> you need character voice. You need yes. it's a totally different writing style than a so, nonfiction world you're coming from. So, Robert, the agent and readers, they want to know about Gideon. Like, yes. I not to be mean, and I don't mean this in a mean way. I don't care about the history. I want to know about Gideon. Yes. I want to get to know him as a character because I'm about to go on a journey with him. And if I don't know anything about him, I'm going to close my book. And I'm going to be like, yeah. nope, this isn't for me. Okay. Well, agents so, are too. And yeah, the, uh, sadly, because your query, it's your, this query is not doing it for you. It's just, it really isn't doing anything for your book. Um, yeah. And I'm telling you right now, they probably won't even read it. It's going to be automatically a decline. And you don't want yes. that. And we don't want that for you either. That's why we want to help no. you. So, um, so once you get that, and telling us who your main character is, tell us what they want more than anything, connect that to their emotional wound. What's getting in the way? Make that clear and precise exactly what's getting in the way of what he wants. Okay. Um, and not listing, don't list, you know, environment agents. I mean, excuse me, uh, governments, uh, religious interests, big business. Don't list it. Just pick one. Yes. Okay. Or, and or just condense it enough to where the agent gets it. Like, oh, okay. So that's, that's what's in the, the way. And the bio blurb should only be maybe three or four sentences at most and even four sentences about the reason oh, why yeah. you write this novel will turn agents off. <clears throat> yeah. We'll, we'll get to the bio <laughs> for yeah. sure. Cause the bio was a little lengthy too, but it was massive. And then, so once you do that, then your paragraph two, okay. Your paragraph two is going to focus on, you're going to introduce the main conflict. Okay. What is the main conflict in your book? How does it affect your main character why do they have to get involved? Okay, so I'm guessing your main conflict is obviously the war, <laughs> right? He doesn't want to go to war because Johnson is now not pulling these men out of Vietnam. So now they're all having to go, they're getting drafted. People don't want to get drafted. They don't want to fight in this war that they don't understand. Um, so um, that may, if that's the main conflict. I'm guessing that's what the main conflict is. Yeah. But there also should be... Uh, the conflict should also be able to connect and which you do have that. Like, you know, you're like, he doesn't want to kill. I mean, I get that. Like I, I resonate with that. Like I wouldn't want to kill people either, <laughs> even if it's yeah. a war, but um, you want to make that very clear. And then your third paragraph is you want to show the stakes being raised as the, as the story progresses, okay? And you're going to give like two or three obstacles that your uh, that your main character character has to overcome. So, and then like to to overcome them and resolve the main conflict. What does Gideon have to do? And what's going to happen if he doesn't do it? And there's usually there should be like a dilemma that third paragraph. It should be something like he must choose this or face this before this bad thing happens okay then that's the stake i don't know what your stake is in this book um it's very vague it's very wordy um and remember you're dealing with agents that are a little bit younger um maybe you might find an agent that's a little bit older for this type book maybe but, um, you know, you kind of want to just spell it out. You just want to, like, put it out there. Don't try to, to uh, you know, 
be flowery with your words and use these like big words and keep it vague like that. Really just point it out, make it super obvious to someone or to the agent. What's going to happen if, because right now I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. You, there's nothing there that's telling us, is he going to die? Um, is he, I, I don't know. I don't know what the stake is. Um, I wish I knew because I would like to know what it is. Um, does he end up having to go to war? Does he, I, I don't know, but figure it out. I'm sure you have it. You just, it's just not written in the, um, in the query. Okay. And then again, the last paragraph, like Ken was saying, is your autobiography, just a small, you only need a couple sentences, you know, tell them where you live. Um, you, uh, let me see, you did say you, you write or you have a, a degree. Where is it at? Um, where, let's see. Your qualifications. Okay, here we go. Um, sorry. It's like three pages that I had to print out. <laughs> um, you said you went to school of architecture. Um, you could put that you wrote your books for McGraw Hill, but honestly, I don't think that's going to help your case because McGraw Hill is, um, those are just textbooks. Those are like textbooks, school books, right? I believe yeah. that's what they do. Unless they do more, maybe I just don't know, but I don't see how that's going to help you with writing a novel because those are two different things. Yeah. I mean, you could still put them in there. Like I get that, you know, to show that you've written stuff. And have been published i get that but it definitely needs to be shrunk down to a much yeah. smaller compact punch of a but of even a bio. still i honestly my honest opinion is i don't think they would care because it's just it's yeah. not a novel it's nowhere near writing a novel it's just not even in the same category it's kind of like i don't know it's like saying you um you know you know how to um save lives if you're working, I don't know if you're doing something that has nothing to do with saving lives, like it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it just doesn't matter because it's just, you know, I would just keep it with, you know, talking about maybe your love for the environment, that you are an environmentalist and that you wanted to tell a story about some of your personal um, history with it. And I think that's great. I think that's clear. It's concise. They'll get why you're writing a story like this. Cause it's something that you feel is important and that you connect with. And I would almost prefer hearing that than everything that you did driving a bus, you know, getting deported, yeah. you know, all those things. I'd rather just hear you say, well, I'm an environmentalist and you know, I wrote the story, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, okay. So you need a hook, you need your genre, if it's uh, political fiction um, or literary or literary fiction, is it, is this, um, oh my gosh, it just, my word, my mind just blanked um, a semi autobiography because you say that it is based on real people. So um, as, or did you just have those characters based on those real people? You said, you said that a lot of this stuff was stuff that really happened or that really not happened, excuse me. Uh, the, the places that you write are what it really, really looked that way. I think I read, um, I don't know. Is this like a semi autobiography or just a, a story? Um, I don't know, 
but I, if it is, then maybe mention that because then I think it's completely different. That's a completely different query. <laughs> a completely well, it's a fictional different. character, but it could be based on someone. Based on, on yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But on some true stories, or you know. Mm -hmm. And then we need the word count. So you need the word count. You need your genre. Um, you do need your comp titles. Those comp titles you did give. Um, where is that? They were um, a little on the older side. Mm -hmm. They were um, in like 2012, I think, and 15, something like that. So those are a little older. You, I mean, I guess in this book, maybe you could still comp those, I guess. Maybe because it's not like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. And I did look up those books that you um, put down and they do sound like your story. So um, yeah, I would keep the comps. Yeah, just keep the comps, but give their full name of the author. You only give the last names. I would give the full name just because, you know, you should. <laughs> You yeah. should give the full name of the author. I mean, they wrote that book. They at least deserve that. <laughs> and just a simple hack to top it all off. Like if you just Google how to write a query or successful queries of published writers, you can go through a list and read the queries. And they'll give yeah. you such a beautiful picture on what to write yes. and how to format and kind of what you're looking at to catch an agent's Yeah, attention. I know it is hard to see it as I'm talking to you and I'm telling you about these three different paragraphs and then the biography yeah. paragraph. He's right. It is hard to to visualize that maybe for some people. So yeah, definitely go and Google. There are places that teach you how to write a query. And I definitely feel like you could, you could, um, you know, you would do, you would do well with Googly for yourself. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, you have you only have 200 to 450 words. So you're really going to have to figure out what's the meat of your book, the meat of your character. Let us get to know your character because that's why we're reading your book. Because not only do we love the premise, but we want to love the character as well. Okay. Yes. Um, and then, um, yeah, so you definitely don't need all the history. You don't need the history lesson that you're giving in these um, I definitely wouldn't address your book as the B2B. <laughs> that seems a little odd. I would just just title, just put the title of the book. And uh, when you do put the title of the book in your or in your query, it needs to be in all caps. So that just helps the agent see that that's the name of the book. They know what, they're what you're talking about. Yeah. Just your name of the book needs to be in all caps, nothing else. Okay, so now you did send us the first few pages of your manuscript and um again you i actually kind of liked your first line the first line is it is the end of the story and i thought oh, that's cool i like that you know i it was instantly like oh what's the end of the story okay all right i'm gonna read more so i was that that works i like that yes um and then, you know, you go on to talk about, um, let's see, the, uh, you address him. I, I would name your character right away. So that after the first line, it says, um, the final act of a grueling summer, moti uh, summer motivate where he has excelled. Instead of he has, just put in there, Gideon Gust has excelled. Okay. Yeah. Um, because my first thought was who, 
And yes, I know it's going to be on the back of the jacket of your, the jacket copy is going to have his name, but you really want to put his name in the book. I mean, don't be afraid to use his name in that, especially in the very beginning of your book. It's okay. Very early on, let us know what his name is. Okay. Um, So that was another suggestion. Um, You have a lot of zooming in. Okay. So as writers, we zoom in, we zoom out, you know, we're looking at the details that we have to pull back a little bit, right? You have a lot of zooming in a lot that felt a little heavy. Okay. Um, There was just like a lot of things that your character was noticing that I, I wasn't sure he needed to notice. And I believe that we talked about this in our Stephen King episode when we went on, we went through Stephen King's book on writing. And even he talks about how when we go in to describe certain scenes, we don't have to describe everything. Yes. You know, we don't, we, we just need to just set the scene. That's all you need to do is just sort of set the scene. Let the reader sort of fill in the rest on their own. But definitely put us in the scene to where we know where you're at and a few things that are in that room. We can figure out the rest. Yes. It doesn't, you know, so. The reader's imagination will fill the holes. And that's the beauty of describing just enough. Yes. And that's the beauty of reading. Right. And it's just be able to kind of you're building it in your mind. Right. You're building in your mind. You're putting yourself in that scene. But don't overbear us with too many details because then we're like we're just we're not really reading to be in it. We're kind of just reading it because like, oh, and and that's there. Oh, and that and there's this. Oh, okay. It can be a little overwhelming. It's overkill. Overkill. It's overkill. So and then we just kind of want to get to what's happening in the scene. Right. Set us in the scene and then what's going to happen in the scene. Don't take too long setting the scene. The scenery, I mean, excuse me. Yeah, you should set the description. 100% what you said. But if you go overboard, then we're like, I don't give a shit, you know, as a reader. (laughs) Like, I don't care. I mean, I've done it. I've been guilty of over-describing. yeah, well, I've been guilty of, I've told you guys when I read the, the Wicked book, that writer just went on for an eternity that I was skipping the pages. I was like, when do we get back to the story? Yes. I don't care that the grass is slowly growing. I just get me back to the story. <laughs> and I love Robert Jordan, but he'll like describe the buttons on the, the women's dress. And I'm like, right. I don't give a shit. Okay. It's, it's, get to it's the story. So yeah. I would, okay, Robert, I would encourage you. Ken and I met on a website called critiquematch.com. Okay. Critiquematch.com. You go on there and you find other critique partners. Okay. It's a critique partner website. Why do you need a critique partner? You need a critique partner. We all need critique partners because a a critique partner is going to tell us what's wrong with our story, like, but helpful, like in a helpful way. (laughs) Yes, constructive criticism. Constructive criticism, yes, because when we're reading our work, we're the only ones reading our work. It's the greatest thing we've ever written. It's the greatest thing. And we're going to be famous, right? Because we love our work. We love our story. We love our characters. But you have to send it to other people that can look at it critically and objectively and objectively over. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Well, but I mean, you want that because. You know, yeah. not everybody is going to see the story the way that we see it. No, right? we see it through rose-colored glasses. Like, if you're chilling in a me bubble, you're the greatest writer that's ever lived, you know? Yes. And you need and you people want to people pop that to fucking like, bubble. 
Yeah. And you want people to like, want to read your book, right? Yeah. You don't want to be the only one to read your book. You want other people to read it. Exactly. So I would encourage you go and anyone that's listening, if you don't have a critique partner, go on critiquematch.com. I know there are other critique places you could go to. It's just the one that we use. It's the one we talk about the most. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we don't get paid for that. It's not, we get nothing for telling you no. guys to go on there. We just, <laughs> we're just trying but, to be helpful. Yeah. And it's also helpful critiquing, uh, seeing other people's work and being like, yes, huh? You know, like you learn so much from the process of sharing your yes. work with people. Yeah. Yeah. So I would encourage you to go on there, get a critique partner if you don't already have one. Find someone that can kind of explain to you and they will go line by line. I did notice that you could probably put this through, um, go through and fix some of your spelling errors. There were a couple spelling errors in those first few pages. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't think the agent cares too much about the spelling errors to be honest, yeah. but you really want to send them a good, clean manuscript. Like you want to go through that with a fine tooth comb if you can and get it as clean as possible before you send it to the agent. Yeah. Um. So, and I would encourage you to do that as well. And a critique partner can do that. They will, in fact, they will point out to you, this is spelled wrong. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. A lot of us do that. It's, yeah. it's fine. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. But I would just, if for sending it to an agent, I would clean it up. <laughs> um, your, the dialogue. Um, okay. So the dialogue. One thing I noticed that when your character was talking, you have straight dialogue. It's just yeah. straight all the way down. There was hardly any interiority. <laughs> I didn't know what your character was thinking. I didn't know what your character was feeling. It was just straight dialogue, just boom, 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 with nothing to break it up. And um, I think the only time that works is if you have witty characters, like a witty banter between characters. But yeah. when that happens, we know that those characters like to do that. And so it's sort of pleasing as the reader because we get to see them banter. But we i'm not getting that in uh, i'm not getting that vibe from the first few pages it was no. just like he they're telling him he's he's not going to go do this he's not getting picked for that and but there was nothing he wasn't thinking about anything really i mean you had like a one line but it was it was uh direction like he he inhaled or yeah. he moved his hand but i wanted to know what he was thinking when they were telling him giving him the bad news what is he thinking? What is he feeling? Is he, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I wanted to be inside Gideon's mind while he's getting told this bad news. And yes. you didn't give us any of that. It was like not there. Um, yeah. So I would, again, I would just encourage you, send it out to someone that can read those first pages and sort of help you. But I would maybe go back and put yourself in that scene as your character and think, if my commander or my boss, whatever, is telling me this, how would I feel about it? You know, like, would I be thinking, you know, this smug son of a bitch, you know, who the, who does he think he is? Or, I don't know, something that's Depends on gonna... what your character thinks. Like, how do you, yeah, right. how's your character feel about right. this? Like, what exactly, do they I was just going to say, in yeah. his voice, in your character's voice, because that's how we get to know your character, is the thoughts that they have inside. Yes. We want to know how they think. Is he thinking, oh my God, he's so right. I should have done better. Or is he like, you're, he's a smug son of a bitch. I hate this guy. I don't know. 
I would a like million to know. different ways the character can take it, and it's all up to you to, to let us see a window into your character's soul, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, let us get to know that character while he's having this conversation. And don't just have a string of dialogue with nothing yeah. that we're... I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what will happen. If you're reading a string of dialogue, it's boring. It is. It's just boring. And you probably but, would just skip over it. <laughs> yes. And the characters because need to be doing something between the dialogue and you, you know, doing like, and thinking. Yes. Your main doing character. And thinking. Yes. They need to be doing like fidgeting. They need to, you know, seeing the gold buttons on the dude's jacket or like anything, you know, yeah, you need exactly. a little Is bit he... of what he's sensing, thinking, mm-hmm. feeling, you know, does he have like an attention deficit and he's looking at a hummingbird outside the window and where's the know, clock ticking and like, you know yeah <laughs> like we don't know your character so that's a great that's a great point ken okay the yeah. clock ticking because that's something that could set Tensions. the mood yes in that scene okay he's getting irritated he's getting annoyed it's causing him to to fidget it's causing him to to want to i don't know get out of the room like I, he wants to leave or something all he keeps hearing is the tiktok the tiktok or you know yeah, every time there's, down yeah something yeah. something that you're you're painting that scenery with the mood as well okay yes. you have to add that mood but i want to know just if the long block of dialogue comes off like white almost white room but like yeah. robotic white room yes where it's just like yes, no, yes, no, okay, maybe, yes, I don't know. And it's very, just so you yeah. know, all dialogue should propel the plot in some way as well. Yes. You can't have just people talking for no reason. They have to discover something. They have to figure something out, or I don't know. Um, yes. But yeah, so I would. So um, I feel like you have a great premise here, but it's yes. it's missing. It's missing in the query. Okay, for sure, because yeah. um, it's just it's just not there. It is just not there. As much as I tried, I read this like three times, trying to figure it out, and I kind of got like a small little idea of what your book is about. But I think it's cool that like you know, your your I mean, you have the theme right. Your theme of your book is obviously saving the environment and doing something. So that to me is appealing. I think that's great. And, and there's a definitely peace in the sixties and like mm-hmm. all that is really cool. Like it's a great premise, a carpenter. And there's yeah. There's there's room for a book like that, I think, for yes, today. Absolutely. So I think I feel like you would have a lot of readers that would be interested in a premise like this because yes. it does hit with a lot of especially young people today, young yes. and old, young and old. So that in itself is fantastic. You yeah. just want to you just want to get the query clean and concise and clear and then really build up the writing and the scenery especially in those first few pages. Query um, critique partner and definitely take a look at your writing because it's missing a few aspects of modern novels. You know, yes. the interiority a few of the like I fr- I don't know the exact wording so it's going to sound stupid but like the tags not just the the tag, but like what there has to be action in between dialogue. It, if it's straight dialogue, it was just like we dialogue. said. It's just straight yeah. dialogue. It's just nobody's gonna want to read that. They're like, yeah. we need little little bits of things thrown in there. So 
I believe coming from the nonfiction world that you're coming from mm-hmm. has definitely leaked into the novel a little bit and definitely you have the right premise and the right story idea, but you need to get with a critique partner, um, read some modern books, mm-hmm. uh, fiction, and take another look and maybe another pass or two on your on your pages, I think would yes. be in order in the future after you've gained this new information. Yeah. Because right now it reads too robotic, which like a comes textbook. from the nonfiction <laughs> side. Yes. Which you're great at and brilliant yeah. and very prolific at, which is awesome. But to to bridge, you know, to a totally new discipline yeah. in creative in fiction, um, it doesn't it's not translating as well as it should. And I think a little more studying on your part yeah how to write modern fiction would help you greatly mm-hmm. because the premise is cool as fuck um i like the idea like your writing is beautiful you're eloquent yes. it's it's, yes. it's brilliant i, I was I, gonna say too yeah. the writing is really pretty it is nice you it have a, really some really good sentences there um but yeah i definitely feel like maybe reading some more and then seeing when you read it um, read how they're putting the sentence. You have a lot of sentences that are really long, mm-hmm. like long sentence and then another long sentence and then another long sentence. The thing about writing is it needs to be like music, like a like a rhythm, like a yes. think of like waltzing. You know, it has to be like like it needs to read like a waltz. You have some long and then you have short, some yeah. me- medium sentences or you're elongating and then another short sentence. It should really sort of read like music and you have just long 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 and that can be tedious as, as a reader trying to read through it which it's is just great in the textbooks yes textbook. that works good it's yeah. almost like he's a gunner he was a gunner in the navy for 20 years and he's been on the ocean for 20 years and now he's got to mm-hmm. run a crab fishing boat he has no fucking idea yeah how to translate yes you were on a boat Yes, you know the waters, you know the sea, you know mm-hmm. ports, blah, blah, blah. But it's a totally different, you know, totally yeah. different style. And I believe you have all the tools to get there, 100%. I think so, too. I think so, too, Robert. I just feel like you definitely need to send it to a critique partner. Yes. Um, do some research on how to write a query. But I would, but my advice would be send it to a critique partner first. Yes. Get that fixed and cleaned up, and then you can worry about the query letter once you go through that. I I don't know. I mean, you could try querying it, but I you definitely need to. There's some things you got to you got to fix those first few pages, and you have to write a better query because unfortunately, you're going to send this out, and you're just going to get, get rejected. rejections. I know, I, and we don't want that for you. The first page is definitely are going to run through the rest of the novel for sure. Yeah. I would assume that's just what, I mean, I could be totally wrong. It could be bang on after the first few pages, but mm-hmm. usually the first few pages correlate to what's the rest of the book. So yeah, I definitely a couple editing passes ahead of mm-hmm. you. And even if you just go to the a bookstore and just flip through books and just kind of look at the structure Mm-hmm. of the first few pages i find that super helpful yes i find I, do that too. <laughs> I i take my writing and i'll look at a book that's in the same genre mm-hmm. and i'll read the paragraph of theirs and read mine yeah it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be exact but i'm like okay 
and then the next one and the next one and the next one and so on and so on. And it just gives me an idea of what my writing is missing. And I think that can be very helpful for you. And also other thing I forgot to say that. Yes. And I forgot to say this earlier, so I apologize. You, those first few pages need to, you need to sow curiosity seeds. Don't tell us everything right away. Yeah. Let the reader want to keep, throw in some like little things that are like, like secrets, I guess you could call it curiosity to pique our, our curiosity so that we want to keep turning the page. Something that happened to Gideon, what's something that happened? Maybe it's something that happened in the past that he hasn't quite dealt with yet. And maybe he just mentions it like briefly and the reader's going to go, Oh, what's that? Oh, what happened? And they're going to want to keep reading. So you want to make sure that you have a little bit of that those are page turners. That's why people keep turning the page. That's why they stay up at till one, three o'clock in the morning because they gotta know. I know because I do that. That's what I do as a reader. I I, yeah. I, I, I gotta I can't finish this yet. I, I gotta go to the next chapter. I need to know what yeah. it is. What is it? So you also need to add that in those first few pages, and you you don't have that right now. You don't have that. You probably do in your story, but I would I would put them in those first few pages. So that if you do get, um, if you do, once you fix the query and you do get um, a full request, then yeah. hopefully those curiosity seeds are going to keep the um, the agent or um, to want to request a full. Okay. Yeah. Your query, your pages and your premise are an uncut gem and mm-hmm. you need to spend some time at the sander, a good chunk of time at the sander, bringing yes. out that gem. But thank you, Robert, for sending this to us. Um, Please reach out um, if you're on critiquematch.com or if you get it, if you get a critique partner and you're able to sort of go back and fix this, um, then feel free to resubmit um, if you want. But maybe your critique partner will be enough for you. But we wish you all the best. We thank you for sending us in your query in those first few pages. And we look forward to hopefully seeing this book on the shelf one day. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yes, because that's what we want for all everybody that sends in, and us included. And yes. Robert, we are in the query trenches with you. <laughs> yeah. And it so sounds like right... such a cool story, too. You know what I mean? Yes, like, it does. It does. If, if it, it does. was done properly i would love to read it yes so ken so i kind of wanted to finish up our villains episode that we started last week and talk about okay. these three different arcs but i think we're out of time Damn. <laughs> so i think we're gonna have to do a villains part two unless you want to just get into it it's up to you but this is already over an hour <laughs> <laughs> shit well it's up to you i'm i I'm off for three days. I don't give a fuck. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> well, so, well, I just kind of, I wanted to talk uh, quickly about the three different arcs. And yeah. um, so I don't have, it's not too lengthy. But basically, um, one of the arcs is with, uh, and I got this from um, Kinder, uh, excuse me, Kinder Pen. There's three different arcs that they came up with. There's the arc one, the redemption, the unfaltering arc, and the downward spiral. The redemption is obviously when your villain starts off good, Mm. and then they fall or turn evil, and then they redeem themselves. And we already know... The number yes. one example of that. Anakin! Yeah. <laughs> Darth Vader, bruh! <laughs> yeah. There's Darth Vader, but then there's also there's also two other ones that I that I came up with. Uh, the Grinch. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Snape from Harry Potter, yeah. Professor Professor Snape. He's close to so, good at the beginning. He's he, old. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. He's, I mean, there, listen, there's an argument there for Snape, okay? Maybe yeah. he didn't have to be mean to Harry, but because he was a secret agent. Yeah. You know, but then he kind well, of goes a little a too far. To, he was addicted to Petunia when he was a kid, too, a little bit, you know, and dabbling in the dark a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he was. But... He was a little bit of a snitch and a brat, whatever, but. <laughs> yeah, but he was a good kid and he was bullied, so yeah. But he redeemed himself at the end he and did. he finally was able to show Harry. And that he really did love his mother, and he and he was actually good, and was trying to help. Two of my favorite characters of all times. That's got to tell you something. Oh, Snape and and Vader and Anakin. Yeah. Oh Two yeah. Of my okay. Of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you a Slytherin? No. I think Wait. I was a Hufflepuff. A Ravenclaw. I'm I was Hufflepuff. a Hufflepuff. Shut up. Me too. Yes. Yeah. Hufflepuffs unite. Yes. Yeah. How about them peeps? <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Oh my gosh, that makes me so happy. Okay, good. That's yeah. how we get along. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, just again, guys, this is for you guys to um, to um, apply to your antagonist, and you should have an antagonist, guys. Yeah. There has to be a bad guy that's fucking shit up for your main character. Otherwise, yeah. your story's boring. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's boring if no yeah. one's fucking shit up for them why yeah. are we even reading it you have to have a and, bad guy and, and we're not just talking about a bad guy the bad guy could be society it could be you know yes but there has be to be an antagonist yes. there has don't to be sit... something that's fucking with your character yeah like don't sit there and be like oh i don't need an antagonist in my story there's bad things that happen to them no you need you need an antagonist it could be the environment even like you know yeah. like there's different antagonists than just mm -hmm. humans so so you can so that's one arc that you can do for your villain. Um, I was reading that villains should have an arc. That your villains should have an arc. They're basically like your main character, right? Not your yeah. main character, but I mean they're like they should have an arc. If you have a yes. bad person, something better happen to them at the end. Okay. The second arc is the unfaltering arc, and that's just when they're just evil, evil dies. <laughs> Pure they're evil. never good they don't yeah. turn bad they're just evil from the start they continue to be evil and they get it in the end and yeah. and that would be um my examples that i came up with professor umbridge voldemort and Jevert from les miserables hans gruber hans gruber but i love him so i don't know <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah you love him but he's bad no, I he's bad yes he dies. yes Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they and so if that's an arc that you want to do for your villain, that's a good arc too, right? So they're just gonna yeah. they're just evil, consistently evil. They're consistent. Sauron <laughs> from Lord of the Rings, like just pure evil. Well, uh, so, yeah, Sauron or so, yes, yes, Sauron, not Sauron, Sauron not Sauron. Sauron. Yes, yeah, yeah. He's Sauron, just evil. the great yeah, eye. He's yeah, evil. he's just evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just evil. So yeah. there's no redeeming quality. He's just an ass. Professor yeah. Umbridge, she was just evil uh, from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Professor Umbridge and Javert are almost the same. Like they're just sticking to the rules, and and you know, God forbid you break a fucking rule. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, Fuck it's Umbridge. just. Sometimes they get they get into the power. They get too much into the power of it all. I feel yes. like and so they just yeah. let that. They just ride that out, and yeah. um, and they die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they die. Good. Actually, I'm not sure does Umbridge die? Do they ever say? I know she gets attacked, but no, she gets she doesn't die. Off. Actually, no, she doesn't die. I don't. Oh my or, god! Okay, well, wait. 
maybe she does. I can't remember if she does. I, they, I think it's just kind of insinuated. Like it's, it's kind of there. Like she, they, yeah. she's taken off by the. When the centaurs take her, obviously yes. she lives because they just hold her captive. But during the wars, did she die? I think. You know, so. I can't remember. I think she did, but yeah. yeah. Um, and then of course Javerti ends up committing suicide. Okay, yeah. whatever. Um, and then the next arc is the downfall spiral, and that's where they start off good, yeah. then they turn evil, but they still die. <laughs> yes. They still die. So um, they die as a villain. There's no redemption for them. They just, they start off good, and then they just, they never, it's never really turned to back to um, good. They just yeah. stay evil. Yeah. And that would be Sauron, right? Yes. Started off, uh -huh. and then of course Harvey Dent. Yeah, <laughs> Harvey Dent for the Dark Knight. Oh my yeah. God, one of my he favorites. Was such was... an upstanding oh. DA. <laughs> he was like the White Knight. He was compared to to Batman's. And then your Two Face. Yes. So, and then also um, Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park was also um, okay. a character that falls a villain. He gets his his just <laughs> yeah, just dessert because he started off kind of good and then he just got greedy, greedy bastard. Yeah, <laughs> <and> then died. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of those. Yep. So, guys, I know this is I went we went over that so fast, um, but you get the gist of it. And so, when you're writing your villain, your antagonist, um, they should have an arc. I think yeah. it's good when they have an arc. I enjoy it as a reader. I love it when they have an arc. It's just kind of nice to see how they end up. Either they get their just rewards, or they redeem themselves, and you end up falling in love with them at the end. Like good to um, bad to good is like fucking epic. It's my favorite yes. arc for a villain. Mm -hmm. It it's so it's difficult to pull off right, but if you do, it's a character yeah. that'll live forever in people's yes. hearts because yeah, it's ugh. why Darth Vader is so beloved. It's why everybody loves Snape. Yeah. And he yeah. was a dick. So, he was a dick. Oh, yeah. But we yes. love him. him. Because, <laughs> yes. But we love him. He killed Dumbledore. <laughs> Sorry. Spoiler. Right. So, so yeah, guys. So, think about those different arcs. Think about what you want to do for your villain um, and, and how it relates to your main character. Are they going to redeem themselves in the end for your main character? Are they just going to die? being evil whatever you know um are they gonna start off good and then end up evil like just things to think about something to ponder when you're writing your villain sometimes we we get caught up in our main character's arc but <laughs> yeah. good you finished his beer guys um sometimes you get caught up in your main character's arc but you if you have a villain you should complete theirs as well we should Absolutely. get here something at the end something that happens to them so so that's it of our villain series i guess uh we might we might kind of talk about it again maybe yeah. later on maybe another new villain will come out that will come i will come become obsessed over yes <laughs> But there'll be more villains in our future. Yes, I'm sure there will be. I look forward to reading more about them. Uh, oh, yeah. They are my favorite. I listen. I love a good main character, but I also love a good villain too. So. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> I'm not alone in that. But anyway, so yeah, you guys. I hope that you guys were able to um, take something from this episode today. If you're um, 
listening and you're thinking to yourself that your query is like 700 words or 500 yeah. or 600, you know, maybe this might be helpful to you for you to condense. Hopefully the notes that we gave Robert, you can also apply for yourself. Um, again, also you could always Google how to write a query letter, but I would, if you want, you can go back and listen to our episode 10, how to write a query, where we talk about that as well. We kind of go through the steps. Um, but yeah, um, anyway, and I hope that you can, you, I, we look, I look forward to reading you guys' villains someday, oh, you know what yeah. I mean? So I look forward to that. Um, but if you have a query that you would like for us to query, or if you know someone who's querying, you have a writer friend that needs someone to look, uh, over their query, have them email us to writers in a bar at gmail.com. And again, we will read the query on air. We'll give our critique, our feedback, and our, and feedback on the first few pages. Okay? Yeah. So we will see you guys in a couple of weeks. We're going to have a whole new series. We're going to talk about heroes. I hope you guys are ready for that. Um, yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, you know, I know I started off backwards with the villains, but... <laughs> yeah. We started off right. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> And then we'll tackle heroes next, guys. All right. So anyway, have a good couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see you guys. And happy reading. Happy writing. Bye. See ya. That's it for today's episode, friends. We hope you learned something new today. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube under Two Writers Walk Into a Bar Podcast. Our YouTube episodes will upload on Thursdays, the day after the show airs, if you want to watch. And if you want your query letter in first three pages critiqued and read on air by us, send them to our email at twowritersinabar at gmail.com. Put query on air in the subject line. We will read them on a first come, first serve basis. Remember, we are here to help, inspire, and celebrate. Two Writers Walk Into a Bar podcast is produced by Bravo Media Group.